Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your hosts, Dr. Chrissy Rankin, physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy. And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist, certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher. We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combining modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey. Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started. Okay. Well, we, we forgot to talk about pain. I think pain as, as a disruptor of sleep. And so there's a lot to say about that, especially given that we're physical therapists helping people with pain all the time. <laughs> exactly. And I think it's just a testament to the fact that, thankfully, none of us are in pain the ones that were talking last week. So that is beneficial and and good to know that no one's in pain. Um, but that's unfortunately not everyone's experiences. No. And, and I do um, from time to time have pain, but it's just, I'm at a good spot right now. So it's not, uh, hasn't been keeping me up. Ironically, last night it did. I was like, the, like this subconscious says, here, you need to practice. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> but, but what it reminded me of uh, was how serious the problem of pain at night is when you can't escape um, this discomfort, this torture. A friend of mine, years ago now, in his 50s, um, got up in the middle of the night, made his bed, and went out and killed himself because of chronic headaches. Wow. Yeah. And I, you know, I'd always wished I'd, I knew he was suffering, and I m- made a feeble attempt to get a hold of him. I wished I'd done more because 
I think we have some things that help with pain. You know, you there's like this guilt that I think most people in that experience would have about what mm. we could do more. Um, and at the same time, the fact that he most likely was in a medical system that literally gave him no hope and to address mm. his difficulties is incredibly horrible and sad and also infuriating and so how we want to we want to meet those those people like that's the people that we're trying to reach you know yeah. um, that there are options we just have to be in a space that we can accept those options and um try but that's get, get i know yeah, well, and by the way, his pain was initiated by a car accident. He was in a, and and you know, we could we can help those kind of headaches. Oh yeah. Um. And back then, I was just learning the things I knew, so it still felt uncertain. Or, um. Yeah. So. Yeah, we just pause and remember Gary and uh, and all the Garys out there who are suffering. And I do think right now, the way that the medical system's been set up, it is so hard to get help. And people have to go through, they have to really push to get through the system to get to the provider that's going to help them, you know, because you got to make an appointment the the system too with a motor vehicle accident and trying to go through insurance companies through your car insurance you know we don't have that very often but when we do it is very difficult to manage and navigate Um, Mm -hmm. lots of hoops lots of deadlines lots of extra things that have to be done and living in that stressful environment isn't conducive for healing and um and most likely the practitioners that they recommend also maybe aren't necessarily the the best option either and so you're really limited on so many things and that's just another extra layer in that whole specific scenario mm-hmm yeah. So um there I think number one though people if people are in pain, they should go go ahead and try to get that diagnosis and know that they might have to push through some layers until they get to real health. And and I think I I'm much more um sympathetic to the healthcare system right now. I think it's full of people who care. It's just a system doesn't always let them do their job to their fullest ability. So they, you know, if the, if people can just keep that in mind and just keep pressing on until they find the person who has the information or, or approach that's going to help them. And I, I also think ask, ask for therapy. Um, I, I think manual therapy when it comes to pain is a key approach to managing pain. And uh, 
so that means finding practitioners who do manual therapies. And when I say that, that's um, that manual therapy implies it is an advanced hands-on method. So there are different kinds, Mm -hmm. you know, like we do manual lymph drainage or myofascial release or craniosacral therapy or visceral manipulation, but it goes on and on with strain, counter strain, active release therapy, rolfing. You know, there's just a lot of different approaches. Somebody who will put their hands on you, which could be a chiropractor, a physical therapist, a massage therapist. It's just, uh, it's not necessarily a profession because there's plenty in our profession that don't put hands on people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and, I do. It's also finding like not necessarily what the one thing that works because mm-hmm. we have obviously found that there are more multiple ways that people find success or find comfort or healing um so know that whatever thing some what you align with like what you feel like in your gut is the best way to go and how it be willing to experiment that's another thing i think sometimes people um have a hard time with um for multiple reasons you know i think it's time and effort and the bandwidth that we all have available to us and a time that we need help um, mm-hmm. I always just suggest that trying different people out and different concepts mm-hmm. and different techniques and theories, um, because it's not a one all fits approach. And yes, we're going to emphasize and promote what we can do at the clinic. And I have seen how it truly helps people um, for long term. Um, but we're not everyone's cup of tea and um, I'm not trying to be everyone's cup of tea. Um, that would be, life would be boring. <laughs> and um, uh-huh. so um, definitely would recommend that you try as much of things that you can that feels the best options to you. And then once you find that fit, then stick with it and be consistent. Yeah. And and I think building a team Mm-hmm. too. So somebody who can help you with nutrition and somebody that may provide one type of manual therapy, but somebody who might provide another type of manual therapy, or um, there's some really cool things out there in uh, modalities. In, um, when I say modalities, modalities are like heat, cold, electrical stem. Um, there's some neat neuro neurology, neuroscience, um, tools out there, um, or even counseling. Mm -hmm. Like I think counseling was very helpful for, for me just to build up my practice of, of like meditation and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember trying to put my attention to pain at night and I, I, could I think it was under 15 seconds and then I couldn't keep my mind on my pain. It was too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So then I think like you're trying to sleep and, you know, not only do you have pain, but you're upset that you have pain. So there's some mm-hmm. mental stress and, and mental fatigue from there. And that cycle just yeah. keeps you up at night. 
Yeah. And so last night was a good example of, of the more mild versions of pain where it's like a mosquito buzzing around my head is it's, Oh, maybe it's a one and a half, but it's there and it's tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. Can't, can't fall asleep. So I did a couple things. I got up, I put a topical rub on it, you know, so we could, we have a whole discussion of all the great topical rubs that are out there. Yeah. <laughs> There's so a lot of different ones. Yep. Like, like doTERRA right now has put that copaiba in their deep blue rub. So it's a, you put it on and it immediately feels better. I'm sure other people have uh, other things that they just love. Like my husband likes tiger balm. Mm -hmm. um, so not to promote one over another, but just that putting it on and, and then um, red light therapy is another one that's really good. So I just did that for a couple minutes. Um, you and I don't know which brand to recommend there because those are a, there are just so many of them. There's uh, one of my patients bought one for thirty nine ninety nine. She found and it was working for her. They go up to seven thousand dollars. Those seven thousand dollar ones are beauty related because we'll pay anything for beauty. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. So you can, I think you can find them at a reasonable cost. <clears throat> and, the, um, oh, and then that's why if, if we have loved ones, we should give them shoulder rubs. So they give us shoulder rubs. <laughs> yes, yeah. for sure. And uh, yeah. And then there's one exercise. Well, well, three exercises that I do in bed. <clears throat> one is spine pumping where you just uh, imagine lengthening the spine and I'll do that right around the area that's in pain. And I'll just like think expand release. And I might do it with my breath. <clears throat> the other one that works really good is to think of the two sides of the spine laying there and I lengthen one side of the spine and then let it go. And then I lengthen the other side of the spine and um, you can do that in each segment of the spine or just where it hurts. But it, it, I think of it like a snake because you end up, you know, this that wavy oscillation. Um, and that's pain relieving. And then the third thing is finding a pain-free position. So this is where pillows, pillows and bed surfaces like, so I went through all kinds of pillows, buckwheat pillows, the uh, curved pillows, mm -hmm. um, the memory foam pillows. And um, again, I don't think there's the one for everybody. Oh, no. I really think it's like find a position that feels good to you and then stuff yourself with surrounding pillows and yes. trying to maintain that position as long as possible. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it really just depends on the person. Like, I had one patient that, you know, lived and died by this bamboo pillow, you know, and then, <laughs> you know, in my baby <clears throat> career, and I had suggested it to somebody, and they're like, that was horrible. <laughs> and so, <laughs> it's like, 
I I can't even I don't know <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that that uh, sleep sleep is a posture too. So keeping things lined up instead of like pulling the head forward or letting the head tip back, uh, which are just gonna kink the neck. Um, so whatever pillow, just have it keep your head in line with your body. And the same thing for the rest of the spine. So that's like a, like you said, a pillow everywhere, like a pillow under, if you're going to lay on your side, put a pillow under the top knee. Mm -hmm. You could put one like underneath your, like the side of your trunk. So like if you're on your side and there's a large, you know, gap between the bed and your side, you could put one there. Yeah. Um, I actually love thinner pillows and even if I have a pillow I'm on the corner on the edge of the pillow so I feel like that's just because like I like it to be as flat as possible and mm-hmm. that just feels you know best to me I'll even put instead of the pillow being horizontal I'll put it vertical because I just need that little corner and a little. and you know whatever feels good I was also gonna say too that um in the exercise that you're describing too are so subtle. Um, and cause some people would think, well, I'm in bed. Like I don't want to do exercise, you know, while I'm, I need to get up and do exercise or, you know, do something crazy in the bed. It's like, no, like literally just visualizing lengthening and contracting and, and doing s- subtle mm-hmm. movements are just as good as nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have this, right SI joint that'll go out from time to time. And this is one of my crazy stories. One time it did its thing and went out and it was a lot of pain, but we had to drive to Bellingham to visit my son. And um, so I just got a, I took my sacral wedgie, which is just a block that you can put behind the sacrum and sat like that. And I just kept saying, I love, I love me and just sending love into that space. (laughs) And I, we got to Bellingham, we got to where we wanted to go. And I, the pain was enough. It was keeping me awake throughout the night. And I just kept saying, I love you. I love you. And by the morning it was gone. Nice. Yeah. And I think what that is, is just, um, not succumbing to the the tension that pain creates you know just keep inviting relaxation around it and acceptance um pain can also create fear like why is this here (laughs) because regular nighttime pain is a reason to go to the doctor right yeah yeah you shouldn't put up with that so um but in the moment, there's nothing to be done. So you might as well just uh, let go, be at ease. Yeah, it's amazing how we'll, I'll, we and I will talk um, to patients about, they'll say a lot of times, like, I, like, the past two days, things got worse and I don't know why, I don't know what I did. Well, okay, let's review you know, how's there stress in your life? How are, was eating? How was uh, the relationships in your life? 
you know, all of that can affect our pain. And that's what's so difficult to tell people why they're in pain or to help quote unquote fix them or whatever the goal is. Um, because it is so subjective at times. And, you know, we've learned that long-term pain responses, like we usually, we, uh, regulate and interpret and respond to pain through our logical brain. And the more pain that we have, the more it turns emotional. And it's not because you're crazy. It's because your brain at some point is exhausted by constantly trying to interpret and fix the pain in your body. So then it goes to the primitive brain and the emotional brain. And that's where we store all of that. And no wonder people get upset and sad and angry and depressed and all the emotions that tend to go with pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And so being logical how you were just saying like okay so I'm going to rewire my brain essentially to say this is just a sign that my body needs more love and more TLC can Mm -hmm. switch the you know the narrative regarding your pain yeah you bring up a good point about what we did during the day can create what we're feeling at night it absolutely does. Um, so uh, if we're using my last night as an example, yesterday we went for a bike ride for the first time in the season. And I didn't do anything afterward to like shake it off. So that, you know, that's just a data point to go, well, you know, next time I do a, bigger workout like that I should just to make sure maybe take a shower to rinse it off I mean it was it was a leisurely bike ride it wasn't a big sweaty thing but it you know it was six miles on the bike for the first time since last summer yeah exactly yeah so um and and also I think this wasn't me yesterday but if it, you know, if you eat too close to bedtime or you eat something that's too heavy to digest, that can wake you up at night too. Um, yeah, then I wonder if there could be then, you know, stomach pain or um, or heartburn or you know something mm-hmm. like that. That is an actual a physical manifestation of of that pain. Um, it's amazing too. I've had a couple patients that during the day, yes, they have pain, but maybe it's at a tolerable rate, you know, that they can handle. And then mm-hmm. at nighttime is when it increases and they've done all the things of, of making sure there is no other pathological things that are more serious than just generalized pain. And they then say, well, I think it's because this is the one time in your day that you cannot distract yourself Mm -hmm. from what you're feeling and experiencing and throughout the day. And so essentially you're trapped in your bed essentially, and you have to deal with it. And if you're not 
able to deal with the emotional and physical things that you've been avoiding all day, then yeah, it's going to pop up at night when there's less distractions. And so it just ties back into kind of that mental health that you were talking about and being mindful and, and addressing things in all angles and not just with distraction. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to repeat myself that being able to put attention to an uncomfortable sensation in your body and stay with it. And that the first time I ever tried that, I, I couldn't, couldn't even make 15 seconds. We're just not present with ourselves. We're always like 10 steps ahead. And um, one of my teachers, he said, moving at the pace of grace and, and that learning to move at the rate that my body wants to move and not the one that my mind wants to move at. And then bringing them into harmony where mind and body work together. Um, so that by nighttime, there isn't this big, um, you know, we haven't built up a pile of silt <laughs> from pushing the body too hard, which makes me think about mattresses and how they sell $50,000 mattresses, but it, I don't know how much of the world sleeps on the ground. <laughs> true. That is very uh. true. I always find it, I mean, this is just a silly point. Whenever I'm, oh, I'm not at a furniture store very often, but whenever I'm at a furniture store and seeing people <laughs> trying on beds in the middle of a furniture store, I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> this is kind of awkward. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't even have an opinion about mattresses. Like, I think if our bodies are just like the pillow, like, Mm -hmm. you know, some people love their Tempur-Pudic bed that they spent thousands of dollars on. And other people are like, it was the worst purchase ever. And we have to deal with it because they paid thousands of dollars for it. So Mm -hmm. uh, I wish there was that perfect yeah mattress i'm i'm sure someone would say that there is a perfect mattress but i don't know what that there is. is this this thing about getting older if you don't keep your muscle mass up the skeleton is like rickety and so if your mattress has a divot in it because you always sleep in the same spot all the time the 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 especially the pelvis that right SI, it can drop down over the night and then go out. So makes sense. Yeah. So uh, for, it just behooves us to keep our muscle mass up and to rotate the mattress. (laughs) Yeah. That rotating the mattress is such a good idea. And I forget about that one a lot. And then for myself, on the opposite spectrum, I am like unable to lay on my back. It's not painful. At some point, I just get, I have that feeling like I need to change my position. And Mm -hmm. I can't lay on my back because of my muscle mass on my backside is, I feel, is relatively large. So then my back arches too much. So I'm in this like tilt that just does not feel very comfortable. So I should then put back to my original thing of like stuffed pillow, you know, on underneath my back maybe. 
and mm-hmm. feel that divot, you know, between my backside and my back. Um, so I'll yeah, there, that right. <laughs> there is an approach in, uh, you know, the McKenzie approach for the back where that's what they do. They have you put a, a small towel under the back. And I've done and, that with, you know, sitting, you know, and people and suggesting it was sitting, but I've never tried it in laying down. So I'll have to try that this time. Yeah. That, oh, positioning is a, a great topic. And that in Qigong, that is actually a, a practice is to sleep on your back. And they consider that a, you're like doing Qigong, but it's hard. And yeah, not everybody can. Yeah. Yeah. In, in yoga, there's that last pose, that Shavasana, where you practice the corpse pose, where you practice laying on the ground. And BKS Iyengar, um, who's, uh, whose yoga I admire, he, he, in his book, he's laying and he's flat on the ground. Wow. Yeah. There's like, you don't see any space between him and the ground. Even, and when I lay there's space, but like one place there's space is like one wrist. I can't, one of my wrists won't lay flat on the ground. My right side, which is my working side more than the left. So it's kind of interesting that laying on the ground shows us where our holding patterns are. But like you say, you've got some good muscle mass though, too. So there's that. Um, I also think like too, that my directional preference in is, lumbar extension so i personally love to lay on my stomach and because it promotes that lumbar extension right Mm -hmm. and it you know long term we'll see where this takes me you know like i'm still relatively young and it might not be affecting me to that point um but i think that's also like yes i think laying flat it would be the goal you know that as, as best as we can, laying flat would be the goal. Um, yeah. And there's like two things in my brain that I'm thinking about. One, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about an actual patient that he liked to lay on his back, but needed like a pillow underneath his knees to make sure that his back was flat when he laid on his back. Um, and he did that for 30 years. But then when I did his assessment and his evaluation his he had permanent knee flexure contractures so meaning he was unable to get his leg his knee completely straight because he was in that position for so long so then you're like oh wait now you can't really walk very well or go down the stairs very well because you can't straighten your knees out with using supports, you know, because it helped you sleep, you know, so there is a fine line. And the other thing that I was going to say too, is if you are having low back pain and you notice, and you could do this on your own, you can stand up or sit down and bend over five times and then see what your pain does. And then lean back five times and see what your pain does. And whichever one feels best is your, is your directional preference. That's what I had mentioned earlier. So if it is flexion, meaning going forward, then finding positions that promote that forward position a little bit more like child or not child's pose, um, beetle position on the side or, um, 
putting that pillow um, underneath the back or um, elevating the legs a little bit, bending those knees in some capacity would be beneficial. But then if you feel better with extension, then laying on your stomach might be appropriate option for a short time or um, laying on your side and having a little bit of arch in your back instead of fetal position would be a good idea too. So something to play around there too. Yeah, that uh, th- this reminds me of another good story. So somewhere in my 20s, late 20s, I woke up one morning, like, because I, I like to lay in my stomach, and I could not move my arms. My arms were completely numb and limp. I was stuck on my belly. And, um, and I was an, a young physical therapist, new to, new to the job. And so we are really big in physical therapy about saying, here's, here's the best way to do it. Or maybe we were, I don't know, maybe as a profession, we're, we're progressing and we're getting more broad ideas, but it was like, okay, this is, you shouldn't sleep on, on your stomach. So after that, I, I just never slept on my stomach. Um, and and then fast forward to like 2018 when we had Deborah Learman coming, mm-hmm. and so Deborah is just a master at the application of Feldenkrais, and she was teaching us some things. And she said, "You should be able to sleep in any position. Like the body should have enough freedom and ability to release." that you can lay on your stomach if you wanted. And that was really powerful to me. That um, So I did try to start laying on my stomach again, because now I think I do have a lot more ease in my body than I did when I, at, you know, back in my 20s, I was trying to, I was starting a new profession. I had three little kids. I just had a lot more tension um, in response to all those responsibilities um, and not a lot of mindfulness on how I was using my body. So it was very tense and now it's not as tense. Um, and sure, then I can lay in my stomach. So that's where I feel like if you can keep an alignment, something close to a neutral spine where it's not over flexed, not overextended, everybody's going to be a little different because some people do naturally have a large curvature in their low back. Um, and that's just nature there. Uh, so you get to know what's what your body is. But, you know, sort of being able to lay in any position is a check on where your tightness is. <laughs> yeah, good call. Yeah, yeah. so you could take a... a mental note of a body scan and looking through what feels tight, what feels shifted, um, then you can address it more during the day, the next day. Mm-hmm. It's a great idea. Um, I was thinking of, um, oh, like, I know we're kind of jumping around. Um, <laughs> so in pregnancy, a lot of people have discomfort and many aspects of the day and especially at night and they have this huge 
thing, like fear of you can't lay on your back after a certain point because of fear of cutting off blood flow to the baby, which honestly mm-hmm. doesn't and I know there is science behind it. It also doesn't 100% make sense to me. Um, and so people are like, well, I can't sleep, but just, but it feels so good to lay on my back. And like, I wish I could just do that. And I'm like, if you don't have symptoms of shortness of breath, feeling like you're going to drown, uh, dizziness, nausea, the things that laying on your back can happen when you're in a later stage of pregnancy then lay on your back, you know, um, at that point, you know, sleeping and then you don't have symptoms is probably going to be a better option for you in the long run than trying to fit the mold that doesn't feel very good. But this fear of laying on your back in pregnancy is, is over, is the higher one and it might not be the best option for you. Are you in your studies? Have you, you come across anything on that? No. The only thing that they no. said was, you know, you should still lay on your side, but anything that it comes regarding um, anything with pregnancy, you know, it's based out of fear and the recommendations are based out of fear and mm-hmm. there's not going to be a lot of testing done because of fear of, well, there could be harm to the baby. We just don't know. So can we truly get an answer to that? You know, I don't, Oh yeah. Yeah. So they're not, you know, oops, that one. I didn't like it. Say it again. I just mean that'd be a bad study. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is, you know, you can't, a lot of people won't do the study both as a researcher and as a participant, because we don't know what could happen long-term. So um, yeah. but I'm like, if it feels better to lay on your back, maybe you're not going to be there the whole time. And if you feel symptomatic, then okay, we need to change positions. But if that's the best way for you to sleep, then that might be the best option for you. You know, if your body does tell you when it doesn't like a position. Yeah. Pretty quickly. I'll, it'll wait. It'll wake me up out of a, well, a sleep, right? When we have to urinate, mm-hmm. wake up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. so well like i'm wondering are there other aspects of pain at night that ideas for people i I think the bottom lines get help during the day yep and then don't panic at night do things to feel better yeah and if anyone um listened to our first sleep episode you know, anything that was used in that can help at this time. Um, and I also talked about like podcasts or YouTube videos that are, you know, you can find yoga nidras and meditations for pain at night and singing bowls that have a frequency that specifically probably affects pain. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be found on YouTube or whatever podcast platform you like to listen to. I guess, um, you know, this is kind of a big uh, pot to open up, (laughs) take the lid off of, but the use of medications to alleviate pain or to help sleep, um, they, uh, I just don't think 
they're worth it. I, I know you can hold space for both sides of the coin, right? Like mm-hmm. it helps you sleep and it gets you to sleep and then which then helps with function and recovery the next day then and in the time that you need them then it might be a good option Mm -hmm. yeah and then if it's been six plus months and there's no change and you are now relying on that medication pain medication to help with sleeping then we're not quite really addressing what's happening Mm -hmm. there's more layers to this than than we really need yeah so medication to carry you over until you can find the things that are really going to help but they're going to quickly cause their own problem oh yeah Um, and and then we all understand and have some aspect of knowledge regarding opioids and you know i'm on a recent soapbox about gabapentin and how okay so it's not an opioid however we are finding that and this is anecdotally, that patients are increasing gabapentin because at some point your body gets used to it, just like an opioid, and you need more to get the benefit that you got before. And yes, it's not an opioid that thankfully doesn't lead to you having heroin addiction, you know. However, we are using gabapentin to sleep and that's also not not good long term either. So, um. I just haven't heard anyone who's been on that not have like kind of debilitating side effects of like feeling foggy and like. Oh yeah. It's just I wish we'd be paying for people to get a massage <laughs> instead of paying for those. Uh, prescriptions mm-hmm. so which I think you'd be uh, better off well I okay um, not everyone knows this about me but I am I am uh, in recovery from alcoholism for how many years now since uh, 2003 so um, anyway going to AA meetings was the best education and there was this one guy, he, he'd say, um, hot packs, and he said, use a, use a hot pack, use an ice pack, stay away from that medicine the doctors will give you. <laughs> yeah, and from yeah. a lens of people, you know, from your lens and his lens of understanding the slippery slope that any type of substance. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It doesn't have to be illegal drugs. It doesn't have to be prescription drugs. It could be melatonin. It could be like any type of substance, you know, we can get reliant on it. And it's always interesting when I hear on TV, when they talk about like NyQuil and like Tylenol PM and like how that's like non-habit forming, I'm like, you know, (laughs) Like, it could be anything can turn into a habit. And, you know, you can say it's non-habit forming because it's an over-counter medication that needs to have some regulation and thought process into it. Um, If it makes the goal happen that we're wanting to happen, 
it's it can become a habit. So the CDC came out over, I think it's got to be at least 20 years ago now. I think it's about 20 years ago. They came out and said, opioids cause chronic pain. And I don't know why we keep prescribing them past, you know, the first week after surgery or accident, you know, yeah, and then help people move on. Or I, I also think it's a reflection of what they've done to the profession of physical therapy, where they don't let us intervene enough to help people get through their pain. And um, yeah, I think it's, and some of that is, I think, because physicians are the gatekeepers of referrals. Um, and so, and even if your insurance says that you don't need a referral for any type of of specialty, how the state practices are written up suggests otherwise. And so, you know, our, like our clinic, for example, if you're going to use your insurance, you have to have a referral, even if you're quote unquote company says you don't have to um just because we understand what happens on the back end and if you then have to then go to a doctor or a physician to get the referral and the physician has a bias regarding physical therapy because there's some uh orthopedic surgeons that won't refer for pt after a hip replacement because they think all these PTs are too hard on these hip replacements. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. not necessary. And, you know, maybe for a majority of people, because of how the hip works, you don't need physical therapy. Um, it also doesn't hurt to help, though, make sure that you are sleeping okay and that we are mindful of our hip and we are mindful of the precautions that you have and how is your pain level and okay, so maybe PT isn't necessary for like strengthening in your opinion, but at least you can have someone to talk to you for a half an hour or more about how are you sleeping and how are you recovering and how are you eating and how's your stress level and are you getting help? You know, that's really where PT makes its best evidence of what it provides Mm-hmm. is really the education and the being able to hold your hand while you're recovering through something. That's yeah. really what's the most important part. So my little Ayurveda thing of the day of the podcast. So there's the, the, the team for Ayurvedic treatment is the doctor, the medicine, the, the caregiver and the patient. And uh, I love that they have the caregiver on there, that we don't do these things alone. We, we need someone with us. So the doctor may make the prescription, but we need help carrying it out. Mm-hmm. And that is how humans work. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back, you know, to what you've always said. If you have a pill, you have a plan. If you have mm-hmm. a surgery, you have a plan. If you have anything new you have a plan right and so expecting people to have a plan on their own without any guidance whatsoever is is wishful thinking you know kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. yeah well i hope that helps people and you know maybe if we didn't address 
uh, something that someone's listening and they still feel like they don't have answers. I hope they'll reach out to us. At least maybe we can get them yeah, in the right absolutely. direction. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's a nice kind of wrap up of that sleeping option yeah. or sleeping topic. Yeah. yeah. That it's uh, that, that was a whole another forty five minutes on sleeping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, that's good for today then. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thank you. Thanks. We'll see you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions, and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions PLLC. That PLLC is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast, where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.